Hello, hello. What is up? You are listening to the Merry Go Roundtable podcast, a podcast on the Merry Go Round Magazine podcast network. Uh, I am Merry Go Round Magazine writer Kevin Cookman, uh, and you are currently listening to a Last of Us Part Two spoiler cast, perhaps mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. a podcast, perhaps just. Thoughts on The Last of Us 2, however Sweet Carter would like to title this. Uh, I am joined here today by one of my favorite fellows on the site, one of the dearest, dearest boys I know, Mr. Jimmy. Jimmy, how you doing, my guy? Hello. It's great to be here. I'm glad to talk about this game. Uh, yep. (laughs) (laughs) This is Gamer Nation showing up to the building, showing up to the club, we beat this, uh, well, it took me around 33 hours to beat this game. If we want to be exact, it's 32 hours and 59 minutes. Jimmy, I'm very curious, where did you clock in before Fuck. we start talking about brass tacks? Yeah, what was my, I I wish I had given it a last look before doing this, but I want to say that it was probably a little bit under that. It might have been close to like 25, yeah. Oh goddamn! Yeah, I might have just left my PlayStation idling for like a dinner or something. I don't know what nice. the fuck happened. Yeah, did you feel like you went slow or quick or? Well, I played on on hard, and oh, I think shit. The Last of Us in general does a pretty good job of making you feel very tense in a way where you want to hang back in a lot of the combat scenarios to really study what all the patrol routes are, and really like once you finally get a cue on what's happening you take out two enemies and the moment you take out two enemies everyone's patrol routes then change again and then in my lizard brain i'm like okay that means i have to sit here in silence and memorize the patrol routes again (laughs) so that's how i've kind of been playing the last of us part two before we get into the sort of nuts and bolts of it uh jimmy here we are at the end of a console generation uh, PlayStation 4 is basically sunsetting with some of its most marquee games. We have Naughty Dog putting out a sequel to the ever-highly acclaimed Last of Us Part 1. Uh, we have Ghost of Tsushima coming out in July. Mm-hmm. For some reason, we have an Avengers game coming out in September. We have Cyberpunk coming out in September. Uh, this is a pretty packed season leading into a new console generation that nobody really wants. But in a big way, it feels like The Last of Us Part 2 is an industry's kind of like statement on where we were when we started this generation and where we are now. Uh, I'm very curious before Mm -hmm. we get into Last of Us Part 2, what were your thoughts on Last of Us Part 1 and are you a Sony fanboy? Where where are you at? Where are you in the world? I'll say The Last of Us 1 for a while was probably the game I would say was my favorite game. Um, I don't know if I would say that today about it. I think, yeah, I, I think I, I understand like the, um, Naughty Dog thing, how it really, like what is attractive about it now in a little bit of a different way. Um, it's kind it's a little bit less interesting to me. So like, I used to be like a huge fanboy and it, Sony fanboy, yes, I've always had PlayStation. I loved um, Naughty Dog since like Jack and Daxter stuff. Um, and then going into the, like this this sequel, I 
like I really didn't have any desire to play it initially and I you know I wasn't really up on the hype because it's just like I you know I don't it doesn't sound interesting to me I saw the trailer and I was like yeah this is about what I expect <laughs> um and I think I kind of started to become interested in it again when just hearing about like well, what's funny, the reason I became interested in it was something my friend told me, and I realized after playing it that he was fucking wrong. <laughs> the thing he was talking about was not in the game, which was like, well, I, I'll, what he basically said was like, oh, the characters, they, uh, the enemies all have relationships, and you hear them. like They, they shout out the names of their friends, and it's like, uh, which is true, which is the thing that the enemies do. But in my mind, I was like, oh, they've developed like some kind of, game mechanic around uh the relationships of the enemy characters kind of like in a is it shadow of mordor uh nemesis exactly i was about to say that yeah yeah how i was like fuck yeah and that's how they kind of hyped it up as well it was like oh you killed kevin so that Mm -hmm. means uh marcia and samantha are now hell-bent on killing you yeah uh which i think naughty dog had enough on its plate going into this but yeah it really felt like your friend's point was definitely feeding off of what a lot of games media was kind yeah. of regurgitating after preview events and sort of hands-on experiences where I think they really oversold those sort of emotional aspects of this game mm-hmm. uh, in a pretty like, in a more disingenuous way than a lot of the haters online are claiming the marketing was mismarketing this game, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's fucking complicated. I, like... You had messaged me like, what do you think this game is saying? And it's sort of like the game is so obsessed with saying something that all you have is the sense of like how they fucking just like were trying so hard to say to say anything. Ultimately, what they're saying, I mean, we could talk about like more specifically, but that's really what I get from it. And I think this is what a lot of the critics are responding to. Like, I don't know, it's so rhetorical in a way. And then as a critic, you just kind of like, I could I can see where people kind of dive in and you start to t- wax poetic about like something that is interesting, which is that the characters like interact in or the enemy types interact in that way, right? They do say their each other's names, um, but yeah, the it starts to seem like so much more intention is lavished on it than I really got the sense of or at least the type what i take in video games as like maybe a creative intention is a little more systematized i would say in terms of our our sort of conversation of like what is this game trying to say i think it's really interesting that we've gotten to a point where we are even curious about what games are saying and that studios are even making that a sort of point of i mean just a point in general um but it is in such a way that feels many years behind where we are in even the worst of our current like TV or <laughs> film. It yeah. it feels like prehistoric on a narrative level. Um, in a way that, for me, when I first played the original Last of Us in 2013, a very special game to me. It was the first game I ever mm-hmm. bought by myself with a 17-year-old ID. Uh, it was yeah. a great day. Bought it at the GameStop. And... I remember playing that game and being so, I think I had the most intense experience with a video game in my life with The Last of Us Part One. Mm. Because there was one moment, I think it's the sort of arena by the bookstore 
uh, where you already have Ellie, and you're, it's basically you're just got to take out all these bad dudes or sneak past them. And I was spending around 50 minutes just sneaking around and trying to do this section as stealthily as possible. And all of a sudden, I start walking up the staircase on the side on the left side of the building. And as I'm walking up it, one of the goons comes out, one of the hunters comes out, and he looks at me. At this point in gaming in 2013, I am pretty conditioned to understand that if an enemy looks at me, that means it's combat time. Like, it's just going to be like a quick like meter that rises up that gets their animation from idle to active. And okay, it's just going to be a fight. In The Last of Us... I had a moment with the digital, with the digital uh, existence of the game itself, where I was walking up that staircase with Joel, and a guy comes out, and myself, Kevin, I'm looking at my TV screen, making eye contact with this NPC enemy, and it feels like the enemy is looking right back at me, and instead of going into an attack mode, he runs away, terrified, yeah. like he is so fucking scared. <laughs> he is as scared as I am in that moment. And it was in that moment I was like, okay, this is the future. This is what games are. This is what games can be, where they are dynamically reacting to the emotions and actions that you are inputting into it. And in that sort of way, I think The Last of Us Part Two is a very natural evolution of that feeling I had uh, as a 17-year-old, mm -hmm. where getting... Every single, uh, I think, combat encounter in The Last of Us Part Two, even with the sort of like surface level uh, characters are naming each other and these kind of ways that are meant to make you feel kind of bad for killing people, yeah. it is in service of a combat system that yes. feels so fluid, that feels like it is adjusting on a dime to what you are doing as a character. And mm. it's just something that blew me away about this game, all the while getting to the ending of it and thinking, wait, what the fuck is this trying to accomplish? Mm. What are we doing here? Because I would honestly, it would be disappointing if this was just violence is bad. And it seems like a lot of the critical consensus seems to be that that's what this game is saying. Um, I Do you agree with that, Jimmy? Because I kind of think that it is so not in that headspace whatsoever and that The Last of Us in general has always been heralded as this series of moral gray areas. But I kind of find it to be the opposite. But what do you think? Yeah, is it gray or is it black and white? That's an interesting way of framing that. Um, my experience of it, I feel like it's incredibly like a black and white uh, type of story. And... The grayness to me has like a slight amount of ambiguity. Like the I don't know if this is a great drama is maybe the like uh, specific um, feeling of this kind of like it, it is sort of black and white. There's not a lot of to to dive into. Um, that being said, well, like, it gets so confusing, yeah. right? Because there are moments in The Last of Us Part Two that are very pointedly gray, mm -hmm. but then you get into a lot of the greater like character stances uh, of like, especially like how this game treats Joel, you know, where it's like, in he's brutally murdered in the first two hours of the game, and the game kind of conditions you to understand it, like, yeah, 
I mean, he yeah. killed, like, if you looked at it from another perspective, he is the bad guy coming in and shooting a little girl's head, uh, dad in the head. Like, Joel, in, in our scenario in Last of Us Part 1, Joel would be shooting these motherfuckers left and right. Which is essentially what he did in killing that doctor, you know? But, but that's the thing, is like, even in Last of Us Part 1, and I guess to give you, give us more context for how this conversation can go, is that uh, it's so interesting that in Last of Us Part 1, uh, people frame that as, yeah, Joel's like a serial killer going down these crazy paths, and really, like, you're kind of an antagonist in a big way. But if you think about it, like, who are you killing in that game? You're killing hunters who, when you are introduced to them, they mow down a running away prisoner uh, with, like, a fucking army vehicle that they stole. Um, and your previous encounter with hunters was them, like, trapping you in a convenience store and having that entire, like, E3 section that's uh, one of the best E3 uh, gaming demos of all time. Mm. Um, but then even after that, when you have David and his entire cannibal crew which you don't even have to say more about that it's a, a cannibal pedophilia crew and then after that you then have the fireflies which are supposed to be like the path of a new america but then oh wait they just indiscriminately kill children and don't get any scientific like studies from them and so it becomes like okay i'm killing all these people but all of them have done very terrible things to the point like terrible things past the point of possible redemption and maybe an interesting part of the last of us part two is that in that sort of worldview that's what that that's what this game does to ellie hmm. do you, to, to center the question yeah. more for you jimmy hmm. do you think that is an interesting approach for our multiple protagonists i I think it's kind of like a suicidal approach for the game in a way, Yo, right? Because it's like, uh, I mean, it's so contradictory. Is the th is the thing like the fact that you the only thing you can like do to the factions that you meet is kill them, uh, really, like ensures that there's like I, there's not a real way to be to have ambiguity and for it to feel like sincere or actually feel like it is challenging me as a person playing the video game uh because ultimately like all those choices right like the uh guys a pedophile and a cannibal the guys killed you know like you're saying like those are designed to make it like simpler uh it's 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 weird it's like they're trying to make it so that i feel like the character is realistic like they aren't doing the Nathan Drake thing of being a wisecracking mass murderer. Uh, they're, you know, I'm supposed to be like justifying why they're able to kill all these people or like why they have to. Uh, and the story is like willfully a part of that. That's why it's like not gray. You know, everything is very clearly being signposted how you're supposed to feel about it. Um, and it yeah it's it's a strange relationship to the gameplay it's a strange relationship to it i don't know how to approach it we'll get to the abbey of this game uh, the abbey of it all in just a sec because i think there's just a, a, there's a, a minefield of bullshit to go into there but like i even think about you know this game wants you to feel bad for killing let's let's start let's start at the wolves the wlf the washington liberation front that is the main source of i think this game's moralism where the the big magic trick of 
or quote unquote magic trick of Last of Us Part Two is that you get to the point where you have killed so many uh, wolves, and then midway you then go all the way back in time to the first day of the rampage, and you meet all of the people that, as another character, you have been slaughtering, annihilating. Mm-hmm. But the issue with that is that leading up to meeting those characters, when we are playing as Ellie in the sort of Seattle uh, open world section, we start looking at a bunch of like the classic Naughty Dog collectibles and uh, uh, left behind notes, and they paint a very sordid picture of this takeover by the WLF. Mm. And uh, it's like, this was not, this was something where it wasn't just an attack against uh, a totalitarian state. This was uh, something where they were also sort of taking major advantage of the occupants of Seattle mm-hmm. in uh, in in their strategy to essentially uh, seize Seattle. And so it's much, and even when you're doing that, uh, when you're traveling with uh, Ellie's uh, love interest, Dina, uh, who I, I think we could just say it right here, uh, is a boring dog shit character. Um, <laughs> Well, Love what they're trying to do there in terms Jewish, of representation, guess, but God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, it's I, sweet, you know, it's, but it's so like, I mean, they shelve her so quickly. It's like they knew we got no, we got nothing else for you guys. So quickly. But like you're looking at all this information that is already demonizing the WLF, and it's not mm-hmm. even demonizing in a biased way. It is demonizing in like a, well, I have your orders right here. They're in my backpack. I pressed triangle on them a couple hours ago. Uh, and so when you start killing them and also just pack it onto the fact that you open the game with a group of them just murking the fuck out of Joel, just murking the shit out of him. And the only reason that they're not crazy about the mission in general, it's not because they don't want to help Abby kill this dude. It's because they specifically note they look at the city of Jackson and they're like, we can't take that on. We cannot deal with that. That is the only thing really stopping them morally from going through with the violence of Abby's plan, which is like, oh, they have a giant city over there. We can't take that out. And in a way, I find that to be sort of an interesting thing about this world where everyone sort of, I mean, as I'm saying it, I'm also realizing that it's also totally ignored. But it seems like a lot of people's decisions are based on how easily can I come out of this alive and still kill you? But even as I as I thought about that, I'm like, wait, but Ellie goes into Seattle with just herself, her, a horse, and her girlfriend. And then even before that, Tommy goes into Seattle just by himself on a weird suicide mm-hmm. mission. So, like, that's the thing is that there's these two levels of logic at play in terms of what justifies this violence that Dude. on a – not even talking about the heart. Mm-hmm. On a pure head level, mm-hmm. it doesn't fucking – work yeah i don't know do you what do you think jimmy i know i i think the action movie shit in this game is also fundamentally like uh in conflict with what it's trying to say about communities and it just comes off like incomprehensible completely yeah and and to to make the biggest foray into communities be us going into uh i I, you know when you go into the the wolves base in the in the stadium Mm -hmm you see a sense of normal uh, normalcy that is, I don't know, did, when you went into the cafeteria yeah. and you saw all of these wolves eating their lunches, I'll tell you what I did. When I saw that, my first reaction was, hell yeah, I killed 
all of you motherfuckers. Okay, Jimmy, yeah. did you have a similar reaction? Yeah, when walking through their like camp and like getting my little whiff of their culture and society, I was just like, this is really a sad like fascist state. Like everyone here ha- is in the military in order to be a citizen of this society, and they're like regimented. I th- actually thought it was a little bit interesting the details of how their life while like we're supposed to be like learning to empathize with them i the whole time i was just kind of like their way of existence is clearly shittier than the jackson way um yeah i was just like i just felt bad going through it i felt like the whole wlf thing was like a misery town um and the game kind of quickly became only that for me with I mean, the Abby section. Yeah. And I think I, let's get into Abby in just a sec. I just want to bring up just the fact of uh, how weird it is in that we're dealing with these moral grays of who we are supposed to feel bad about annihilating. But then Jackson is just this sweet, wintry ideal. Like you go into Jackson in, in the beginning of the game and they have like a full bar going at like 6.30 in the morning. They have an actual like barbecue restaurant. There's a sweet old man playing banjo in the streets. Like it is pure fucking bliss. And so even before you get to the Joel murder, you're like, okay, if anyone comes to this town and starts fucking it up, it is an act of pure malice because this community from what we have seen, there is no moral gray here. This is the white. This is, you know, this is the purest angelic white of all whites here in Jackson. And it almost like the way that Naughty Dog has designed Jackson almost nearly annihilates every other bit of messaging in the game. Yeah, it's I'm I I really like the beginning of this game, I think, and I wonder if part of it was because like the Jackson sections like there's a I mean it's a little like sentimental and maybe a little bit like not complex how Jackson works but like the little um, joy that you get to see there I feel like is really important for them for the game to be able to like be coherent about violence and to like be coherent about like the cycle of revenge and communities to present like this is what it looks like when there's love or something. I mean, even if it did, I think it does try to get back to that, but it's like, uh, I really lose a sense of it the farther I got from that beginning section. I'm really curious to hear more about your thoughts on, cause you've brought up uh, the, the function of community uh, in this game. And I think there's a really interesting uh, review from Polygon. They basically stated that in The Last of Us Part Two, you can only say, you can only critique the cycles of violence so much before you really need to, uh, before you, you're really pushed into a position where you should start critiquing the systems that brought us there. And I think what's so disappointing about The Last of Us Part Two is that almost every step of the way it Naughty Dog pushes the narrative in such a way to keep it as interpersonal as possible 
to make this not a story of warring clans and sort of the ideologies behind these clans, whether they're fueled by patriarchy, fascism, uh, you name it, uh, they make it completely, oh, Abby versus Ellie over Joel. Like that is the pure function of the game, whereas the real answers as to why Ellie has so much bloodlust, as to why Abby has so much bloodlust, as to why Joel got his brains bashed in, if we're looking at that on a real, like, on an actual emotionally intelligent level, the way that we got to each of these is not through interpersonality. Uh, so I'm really curious to hear, uh, uh, what, do, what do you mean by the, the function of communities in these games? Because yeah. I feel like it's something that's such like a lost uh, opportunity for them to really harp on. Yeah. I mean, the lack of the f lack of functionality of communities really is, is what you <laughs> feel in the game. But like, um, yeah, but ha what had there been and like what would that have added to the uh, like desperate attempt to tell a story about like violence and love it is all interpersonal as you're saying like they're these communities like the way they they don't really like function like obviously like how a community would like um you see farms i don't know if i am drawing like a hard line between like something that i see in the cinematic and then something I see when I'm playing the game and like maybe for other people they are I don't know they get enough out of the cinematics to say that they're like this is the community and this is what the community is about this is how they interact this is like clearly the game like uh, identifying this structural quality to the violence uh, I don't know I don't get that I think like switching the character on us was one like structural was one like a gameplay way of getting at a structural thing which is essentially like the psychology like the psychology is a little bit structural in that way i don't know it's it's not a lot it's not much there's enough crumbs in it that it really it, it, yeah. it's more frustrating i think because it gives you a glimpse of what this could be it's just simplistic uh, I, it's I, not you know like i could clearly identify like I think like the 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 structural problem in the WLF is like militancy and also like they describe people in terms of like trespassers. For the um Seraphites it's the like uh religious dogma and how they frame things in terms of sin. And it's like damn man, I just played twenty five hours to get to that. I that's not a good drama. Well, let's let's be clear. That's like all done out of a necessity for gameplay. Yeah, it's to give you more of a reason to want to to understand why you need to point and shoot, and then to add in all the bigotry to make you want to point and shoot. Yeah. You know, like I, I do have to say, there is something kind of rewarding about playing this game right now. I think there's a lot of flack being thrown at it for being very dour and uh, defeatist and really not uh, traditional in terms of what many video game stories are asking most players to do, which most video game stories are complete hero wish fulfillment fantasies where you blow shit up and then usually the game just stops, which I think is what makes The Last of Us Part 1 so impressive is that 
the fact that we're talking about a great video game ending feels so rare. Like, it feels so bizarre to me because video games, like, even the best ones, like, I'm thinking about all my hours spent in Grand Theft Auto V and just remembering how the very ending of that game is just the three oh, characters Jesus. walking off screen and then credits just start over the death of a villain that wasn't really ever the villain of the just horseshit like such a bad fucking finale even red dead redemption 2 that game just draws its ending out to for fucking eons and so for the last of us part one to literally end on a button that's just let's not think about what we accomplished let's think about what we've done when you get to the end of the last of us part two i find it so interesting that it pulls a very similar trick where it is a game all about your extreme distrust of others, which is a feeling that is tantamount for right now, I'm feeling. I, I feel like we are, are, are recording this in the midst of a giant uh, virus spike in California. Uh, all of a sudden, Los Angeles County has become the number one uh, surge in the nation. And it's just, uh, it, it is a failure of management, a failure of the state, and just a failure of general ideology going into it and it's one of those things where when you experience it uh as we are right now i cannot see myself trusting anyone uh ever again and so to have a piece of media that from beginning to end an interactive piece of media that is directly about your distrust of others and learning how to deal with that and to and as we get to the very end of this game to potentially forgive that through a very long journey so that you can re rehabilitate yourself into a more functional position of self, I found it to be, as clunky as the story was, very cathartic for right now. Yes. I'm Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because like, I feel like I have so many criticisms and you know, we were kind of shitting on this for a little bit now, but I there is a lot of catharsis and like, I felt a lot while I was playing it and I... Uh, I think, but I think where I felt it was maybe a little bit um, underreported on or kind of unintentional, like you're saying, like I'm bringing a lot to it at, at this point, uh, which was why yeah. I was interested <laughs> in talking about it. Because even though I was sort of like, what could this game have for me? I just thinking about what it would be like to play it now was like, well, that, that will be something there for me. I got a lot out of the environments specifically, you know, just like inhabiting the in like in gameplay, uh, these devastated, devastated Seattle having the weird suspicion like, did these fuckers like map Seattle and then like figure out like, well, we're gonna, you know, like this is the kind of weird thing that I could imagine uh, of a, a studio which is this big doing like they try you know how they're obsessed with like the tech stuff um because it, it feels so like uh centimeter by centimeter um a representation of a place where people live and there's a big tech industry and video games is a, are a thing there um and to see it like just devastated i i it was like that's where i felt so sad <laughs> was and it's it curdles into being annoyed with the game because i s slowly but surely felt like i don't know if 
there's an understanding like how insane it would be to lose this much in human relationships to each other like for i mean it's in fiction everywhere and it's very not it's not def it's like not unsurprising to it's not an enormous suspension of disbelief for people it's a very popular fiction drama apocalyptic fiction but like more and more i and the more i learn about like as i mean we are going through like the slow death of essentially a lot of our ideas about the world uh i don't i am like more amazed that anything could fall apart that much that's what i felt like going through the game that it could get this bad i'm just like there's no like there'd be people fighting i, I mean like we're seeing it right now I, I, yeah i don't know is that is that track no like, it, i think it, it tracks uh, for me in a big way because i think what makes the last of us part two and just i think it, it tracks back to last of us part one for me where when mm -hmm. we have that prologue when sarah when joel's daughter sarah dies in his arms we then cut to 20 years later <laughs> You know, where and and here in Last of Us Part Two, uh, we're essentially jumping five years later. And so there's something so devastating about the fact that there are records in these games in the form of collectibles that tell you how hard the fight was in the beginning, uh, how difficult and how uh, aggressive every battle was to maintain uh, a new sense of stability. I, I think that's one of the great tragedies of The Last of Us Part 1 as well, is that in the very ending of the game, not only are you stripping, is, is Joel stripping Ellie of her agency as a, of her agency to choose whether her life has a certain purpose or not, mm -hmm. but in doing that, in the decision he makes to uh, take her, uh, he also pretty much uh, kills the Fireflies. And the Fireflies in this world have been the faction over the course of 20 years that have been trying to rebuild they are fighting the good fight and at the end of the last of us part one you have a father love his daughter quote unquote so much that he just ruins not only the chance at finding a cure but the chance at really restabilizing society as a whole and so when you get to the last of us part two i think it's so interesting that i think you kind of feel joel everywhere not only in the emotional depth of just how annihilated emotionally Ellie is, uh, and I think to a point where it, it's, it's at a detriment to the character, where it she's low-key boring as fuck. Uh, and it makes sense because if you're learning from Joel for like five years and you're seeing that, okay, well, him acting this way clearly works. He's still alive. <laughs> yeah. uh, then it makes sense that Ellie would start acting like him. And, you know... That is what would actually happen in a fictional narrative sense. It is a weird decision to go with. But at the same time, it's just like it is another aspect that is showing you the effect of Joel on not just uh, our main characters, but the landscape as a whole. We could argue that things would not be this bad if the decisions at the end of The Last of Us Part 1 were not made. Mm. Uh, and of course, that goes into the interpersonal, but the way that I chose to read the game to at least give it, maybe this is me just wanting to give the game a bit more structural flavor, but I felt that the repercussions of Joel's decision 
and it's something that I really wish the game would actually look into rather than me just inferring as a player uh, would be more than just, oh, the daughter of the doctor you shot in the head, which is the, the hokiest shit known to mankind. She's coming back to kill you. Um, I, I, I played it in a sense where that's like it his took memory you 10 was fucking years to make that a reality. Exactly. Like yeah. Exactly. Like I wanted to read it as his memory influencing the impact of the landscape so that when you go into that open world Seattle area, um, all of these places that were once so vibrant, uh, are now just either uh, death pits or or loot chambers. And in a way, that is how the player looks at any of these rooms in like a Fallout or really uh, like any sort of video game in general. Like it's a, what's, what kind of loot can I get from this room first? And then secondly, what was this room meant for? Like that is, like even maybe that's the third thought. And I think what's so interesting about Last of Us Part Two in making that a part of gameplay is that the way of life in this franchise is matching the player experience where you are going into every building going like, okay, are there any scissors here? Are there any health bars? Are there any rags for Molotov cocktails? Oh, this was a pet store, you know? And I think mm -hmm. that is what, that is like the satisfaction loop that keeps me going throughout the game where I go in getting my fill of mm, yummy, I'm pressing the triangle button and getting all my goodies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then what you have been referring to, which is, and then the settling in of Absolutely. once I collect everything, oh fuck, this was a very lived in space. Yeah, uh, This was a space that was not only lived in, uh, but was killed in, yeah. you know? And I, no, I think that's your, the good, your, your that point is... is incredibly salient. Dude, yeah, that's really the good shit in this game, I think. And that's where I'm like, this is a really well-made game. Like, uh, that I have my, like, tummy full pressing triangle. Uh, like, they know, like, oh, we will, we, will, we, will make, we will make sure your tummy is full the entire game. Nothing will, you know, you're going to be, you're not going to get lost too much. Uh, you're not going to be, like, without, really. I mean, at a certain point, it starts to not really feel like a survival-y, well, I, Playing on uh, higher difficulties might make it a little more intense, but it's just so clear that like the environments are ammo boxes after a certain point. Um, that being said, they do they do um, the environments themselves like they do encourage you to look at them and feel them um, as like kind of haunted places. Did you you know my favorite thing in this game, in the in the terms of the collectibles, I really liked those trading cards that you collect as ellie really tell me why because i think i hated things, them yeah 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 i well i think um it's it's where i kind of saw the height uh that the world this world has fallen when i would pick up the little cards and like read them specifically and they would tell on the back of the little trading cards like a science fiction vaguely superhero-y um story about like some person and like thinking about on the one hand like the insane decadence of the pre-collapse society which is our society which is like having fucking marvel movies and toys every all these uh collectibles for every fucking thing for really no reason or you know we know the reason capitalism but 
you you collect these and it's like wow what a decadent society and also like uh the ability to be able to imagine like scientific futures um in a world now that doesn't have like consistent access to electricity is fucking in is is an insane level of collapse um and like to be able to mass produce those to not be able to do that you know in the back of the cards there may be there's like villainous there's a character that to me read as like an uh iron man type instead of like being a weapons manufacturer he was like a real estate mogul i thought that was funny um they're funny in like a short fiction way and you know but then again the idea like real estate no one that's not a thing people do anymore you get all that off the back of the cards and that they are like so tiny and kind of like uh frayed i yeah I, I quite liked them. It also kind of shows like uh, how much um, more energizing like a certain type of science fiction can be. <laughs> but whatever, yeah. I, I, the contrast is still good. There's other areas where yeah. that contrast, I think, is is made apparent. Tell me about them. Um, the. A museum that you go to with Joel in the flashback and you do the Ooh. your little spaceship moment that to me felt very self-conscious um, about video games and the even like just the Naughty Dog video game which contains all these like beautifully detailed and rendered environments and things but they're all kind of dead in a way they're all kind of fossilized you know you don't you can't like run your fingers through the bushes in the trees in the seattle place it's like more like bones everywhere uh so you have that part of it you're kind of being on rails they reference jurassic park um when you're literally in that car on the rails with the looking at the dinos and i thought um when they get into the uh spaceship element of the museum uh all of that kind of was brought to a point with like technology um being i mean just being human like there is like actually a human element to our insane ability to create these machines and like in the game go to the moon for no reason uh i, I thought it was a little powerful i mean it's so telegraphed is like get ready for your tummy to have the powerful moment so it's a little annoying, <laughs> but that stood out to me. And the cards, I thought about no, the cards again. Yeah. The the museum is is I think the the big like uh, the game's opus version of saying that. I I found myself I was playing yeah. through the game on a second time with the new game plus on, on just like very easy mode just to kind of like get more of the flavor of the game because uh, it, it is it, it's nice to the it, it's a nice feeling game you know like even by the time I finished it at like 33 hours and I was like, this was way too fucking long. I gave it a couple days and I was like, I kind of want to go back and feel that again. And so I went back in and something I was really struck by was something that I, the conversations between Ellie and Dina at the beginning of the game, mm -hmm. I was really not feeling on my first playthrough. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just like way too kind of Gabby. It was just, uh, I didn't understand why they would feel this comfortable on a patrol, why there would be this so much small talk chit chat. And it bleeds into the Seattle area as well, where I'm just like, 
Ellie, like, I don't, under, I don't understand why you would give Ashley Johnson, who's Ellie's voice actress, why you would have her say three separate times, look up at the windows, make sure you're looking at the windows to Dina, and then have that Seattle section be only tense when you enter a building. You know, I found that so fucking weird, and I just was completely taken out. But when I finally realized, okay, when beating the game, I was like, fine, characters don't really act like humans really should in a lot of these scenarios. I was actually listening to what they were speaking about, and so many of their early conversations about uh, Dina being like, oh, Jesse said that there's these big waterfalls in Canada. Uh, and basically them saying, like, their conversation about, like, do you think people still make movies? Like, all these mm. questions up strictly about the old world because of how bored they are of the quote-unquote new world in Jackson, of then musing on a life completely before them, completely, you know, gone with the wind, it's it's out of here. Um, and I think in the grand scheme of things, I appreciate those small conversations more than that museum sequence. Because the museum mm -hmm. sequence up until the space uh, capsule takeoff, which I found, I mean, it's very difficult not to find that moving. But so much. I didn't of, cry. So many of the moments. <laughs> you know, I it. liked it, but I didn't cry. <laughs> It's good but sorry it was a really good moment yeah but man so many of the moments leading up to it it feels like bad fan fiction like it feels like the game that the angry people on twitter wanted from the last of us part two which is just for some reason joel and ellie are super chipper like their character models are stuck in these perpetual terrifying smiles and it's just the schmaltziest shit in the world after having exposed a 14 year old to just nonstop death. And it, it just felt so off base to me until the fucking uh, space capsule sequence, which is just so lovingly rendered that it almost makes all the other bizarre parts of it null and void. But I think it's, mm. it's one of my least favorite parts of the game. Yeah. That entire section where it is just the most emotionally cloying, like, oh, don't you feel bad that he died? I'm like, no, I'm, I was motivated enough. You you made me watch this horrible, torturous uh, murder that Ellie bore witness to with her, like, face smashed against the floor. Like, you don't have to do this. We're kind of in. And the fact that you are doing this, uh, it's one of, I think, one of many of the game's many acts of insecurity in terms of what it how it wants to make sure that you are taking in the plot points it wants you to. Uh, and it's, I don't know, I, I found that yeah. a lot of that section frustrating up until the fucking comments about going to space and how we used to treat the future as like a, a source of optimism. Mm -hmm. And I, I think speaking back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier in terms of how this game feels right now, it's, uh, it's I think it's a, a debate that we are having very actively uh, in our age range, you know, where it's like looking towards the future for great things is uh, a, like a fool's game. Like what the fuck are you going to gain from that when there are like seraphites and wolves and all these different clickers literally right outside your door. <laughs> like that's something that we have to deal with until either one of us dies. And, uh, God, and that's the shitty part, is that that fucking museum piece, it makes me think of that, but then it also has, it's it's the hot of that, and then the cold of everything else, and I think for every yeah. hot, 
in The Last of Us Part Two, there's a really brutal cold. And I kind of want to, we, we've been going on a kind of like a, an, a, a direction that I've really appreciated, a kind of like a heady, let's go everywhere, messy direction about this game. <laughs> I kind of want to center it for a quick second and talk about one of the most contentious uh, uh, aspects of The Last of Us Part Two. And I kind of want to just give you a single word and hear what your reaction is. Uh, hey, Jimmy, what do you think of Abby? Uh, I mean, that section of the game is too long. <laughs> it was like that section of the game fucking a, blows. <laughs> it's too long. I, I was ready to play as her i had well okay i had already from like the very uh you probably play as her for like 30 minutes in the like opening chapter of the game uh and i already kind of felt like oh i get it right she has other people and but i i did like how it was kind of elusive i didn't know what her deal was i didn't know why she wanted to kill joel i that was actually i was kind of like all right cool they're kind of doing like the structure of like a tv show um, for this story, how they're going to tell it. Um, and there's like dramatic irony and they're very quickly, like, uh, they're just laying it like the dramatic irony thing goes out the window and it's more like she's this filing cabinet of evidence about something. Um, the, I, I liked that it made sense. Like, okay, I'm going to get new toys, like from a gameplay progression sense. Like, I have different guns now. Uh, I kind of assumed, like, there would be a different play style, but I never really was able to make that happen. I, I didn't, I kind of wanted, I was like, okay, they want me to play as, like, more Rambo-y. And I'm like, sure, I'll try that. That, it didn't always work for me, and I didn't feel like I could role play or like have the immersive experience we've been talking about where you're terrified as the character and you're like feel cornered and you get out of it, um, which I did have like with Ellie. And I don't know if maybe her tools were a little more balanced or something. There's just something was off in the gameplay experience where I never felt like that feeling I had playing in the first sections. And, and at that point, like uh, the like slowly but surely like her journey was just not interesting to me I, I like it, it yeah i don't know i think what feels off about the gameplay of abby is that it for some reason with so much of the audience's perception weighted against her for some reason they bring back shivs for abby <laughs> where <laughs> The, one of the weirdest things about the Lazarus part one is like, why didn't Joel just pick up a knife at any point? Why am I making prison shivs in a world where I'm just taking out fools left and right? Like why, it, it, it was made all the odder by the fact that Ellie had a knife that she could use all the time. And that was sort of like her big strength in her section of the game uh, where you can just fucking stab people and you can just press triangle. And in the Last of Us part two, they carry that over. Where it's like, okay, when I'm playing as Ellie, clickers are not really, like, the ultimate foes they used to be. They hear very well, and it's very difficult to sneak up to them, but I can still just stab them and kill them. That is a, that's like 
a great quality of life improvement. So I can actually use my resources to make nail bombs and these other cool gadgets that I'm usually not making because I want to make fucking shivs so I can survive in this Very game. Yeah. And it's a really, when you play as Ellie, you get into like this combat flow that feels like Doom Eternal. You know, where it's like, okay, one gun is out of ammo. I know I want to use the shotgun for stalkers. And if things go shitty, I'll use a Molotov. If I'm in a human scenario, I'll use the silenced pistol. But if things go shitty, I'll go with my hunting rifle because I know I've been getting a lot of hunting rifle yeah. ammo. Like you think very tactically and strategically. And it's a lot of it has to do because you have that knife. And when you go into Abbey, you bring in one of the most hated elements of the first game. Not only that, but it resets your entire stat progression from Ellie's section so that it just feels like a fucking waste. Like, it's, it, it doesn't feel so much as having new toys as your little brother wiping your save on the memory card. Yeah. And all for the function of playing through a storyline with characters that you really, like... I, I think Abby's section would warrant 10 hours if in the beginning of the game when we met all of Abby's teammates, they were fucking weirdos. Like, it was just the most mismatched group of people. If I was at all curious about how... I'm curious about how Abby got to this point. Yeah. But everyone around her are just nameless, might as well be faceless goons. And to then dedicate 10 hours to meet this na these nameless, faceless goons and learn that, okay who I previously thought were not interesting are in fact very much not interesting, uh, does not work for 10 hours, especially if a bulk of those 10 hours are then going to be spent away from the, the, the team of people in a way where it just, it feels a lot. I mean, <laughs> according to a lot of TV critics, no great season of TV exists without too many characters. And maybe that's what Naughty Dog is trying to implement here. Just, a bigger, more mature story means more people in it. Hmm. And I just feel like the Abbey section just has so much going against it that to put in shitty gameplay mechanics, to put in shitty characters, and then to make it long as fuck. Mm -hmm. uh, I think of the Ellie portions, so many of the battle arenas are so interestingly balanced where you are caught in a scenario where you can clearly identify the stealthy way or the aggro way. And I felt so often in the Abbey section that there were just these coliseums where yeah. you were forced to use all of your resources, which I wouldn't be against if, and I, I feel like this is a small nitpick, but I, I do think it feeds into the ethos of the game. I don't understand why there are resource caps in The Last of Us Part Two. I don't understand yeah. why I can only carry nine bullets for my hunting rifle. Yeah. Like, if this really is a tale of, like, the pursuit of vengeance, there would be a whole cutscene dedicated to Ellie, like, emptying food from her backpack just so, we, just so she could put in, like, more flamethrower fuel or something, you know? Like, yeah. there's something that feels so odd about how much this game encourages you to go the aggressive route. Because, honestly, if you're just doing stealth they only have one animation for each character on every stealth kill. So it's just boring as shit, and you're mm -hmm. kind of encouraged to go more aggressive so you can see what the game has to offer. And the game has so much to offer on the combat side of things. It's a nearly like a Resident Evil 4 style of how many different ways can you get through this section. And with the Abbey route, 
that entire uh, sort of dynamic sense of play style is kind of yanked away because I'm thinking about the most fr one of the most frustrating sections of the game for me was when you team up with uh, Lev and Yara and they're saving you and you hole up in this one house and I think they you push the kids out the window and they kind of run away from you and then you're just kind of trapped in this home and it keeps just throwing clickers at you and then shamblers and then more clickers and it I fucking I died like ten times. Because I was trying to find out the smart way to do this. Like, surely this isn't just fire away. Surely there has to be a different way to do this. And no, it was fire away with your limited resources. And I think the game does it several times for Abby. Not only in meeting up with Seraphites, but that ridiculous fucking hospital boss fight with the infection, uh, the infected rat yeah. king thing. Where it's not a good that, that, that boss fight. It, I did not like that part either. And it's just, it is... The best parts of The Last of Us are when you are caught in a combat scenario where you are forced to use all your resources because of your own fuck-ups. Because you just need to sort through everything you have to clean up your mess. When this game throws you into a pre-made mess, it just feels unfair as shit. And I feel like Abby's section is non-stop pre-made messes. I... I, I really didn't dig it and mix that with just yeah, the yeah. fact that I don't care about Owen. I don't care about Mel. I don't care about fucking Manny. Like, no, thank you. The most interesting part of that whole section for me was walking back into the aquarium near the end and basically walking in the tracks of Ellie's warpath where I'm like, okay, interesting. So I, there, that's when the game seems to be being told through a different perspective for an actual reason. Rather than just, oh, let's go to the Seraphi Island. Fuck it. Let's do this. Like, it feels like a, a side quest, you know? Um, I don't, were there any bright spots for you in the, in the Abbey section of things? Because I was only in it for more gameplay, really. I liked having pipe bombs again. And yeah. I, I, I like the fact that I could play this very smooth game more. But, man, did the story just come to a screeching halt for me here. Totally. Was there bright spots though? Mm, I liked that they freed a zebra. <laughs> I the fact great that scene. it was a great zebra scene. is what I liked. I don't know if that was like a great scene. You know what I mean? Like it's it's much like the spaceship thing where you're kind of like, okay, yeah, you're gonna fill, you're gonna shoot me full of the empathy drug. Uh, it says on the like workflow for the naughty dog dev like. Make sure there's empathy in this, you know, whatever. Actually, okay, there's a little bit of... Uh, the one thing I liked about that scene, like, um, there's... They start to add a little bit to her character with her dad kind of not taking the danger of life seriously. Um, and I was like, okay, you finally added, like, something more to my understanding of this character after playing them for so long. Um, but that doesn't really go anywhere so I don't know if I can really give them credit for that one uh, the Lev and Yara stuff I didn't like it I, f I felt like it was so uh, clearly like a way to get me to play eight more hours 
uh, and a way to get me to like finally visit the Seraphite Island, um, which the Seraphites were such a disappointment. I, I, they're the first encounter you have with them with Ellie is pretty sick. It's like a cool moment of them approaching you. I think it's um, one of my favorite sections of the game. Yeah, it's great. And like all of a sudden they're like, this is how arrows work. And you're like, oh shit, I, I get hit by them and I have to pull it out. That's a cool mechanic. They kind of set it up well with you having to fight um, the stalker clicker, uh, the stalkers that you can't listen to, but they can track you. That that shit was good. There's nothing... That, that I mean, stretch there's... of Seattle is so fucking fun. We were going from yeah. stalkers to seraphites and then back to fucking up wolves in that hospital section. It's like... Yeah. It is just three radically different combat scenarios that call for radically different loadouts and all with like really interesting lore embedding each piece of it where it's like, okay, this is yeah. fucking dope. I love this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the Abbey sections do not have that. They don't have that. I mean... It, it's just so difficult to... Her, Locating her motivations is already a chore and a half before we learned that her father was killed by Joel. Learning her motivations for why she's taking on the mother, father, parent position to these two children is even more confusing to me. It just, it never rings true in a way that's specific to this character, which I think is what is so disappointing about it is that yes in a way i understand the non-psychopathic thing to do is to take care of these kids and to make sure that they are not put in harm's way but in many ways it, i feel like it's completely at odds with who abby has been up until this point where i am pretty convinced she is a psychopath you know like mm. i don't feel like yeah. the way that abby has acted in any of the scenarios that we've seen her in that this would do her in in any sort of way and I think it kind of ties into, I think a lot of the corollaries I see between Ellie and Abby are often never the ones that Naughty Dog had intended for me to see. Like, I think the big thing that when I think about Abby and kind of just the general pacing of this game is, and I think one of my favorite lines in the game in general, uh, after like a really great chase is uh, Ellie and Dina running out of the subways away from all those infected. It's like a fucking crash bandicoot style chase to get out of there. And when you finally get out and you're walking towards the theater, Dina's just like, I'm really tired. Like I'm exhausted. <laughs> and when you look at what the trajectory of day one in Seattle was, I'm like, it makes sense. Like, yeah, you know what? If you were real human beings doing all of this in a day would be fucking zonked. They'd be exhausted past the point of like uh of of, of being able to like speak clearly. And I, I love that so fucking much. And then you get to the Abby sections of the game. And her days, if you thought Ellie day Ellie's days were packed, Abby's days are packed to the point of almost like self-parody. Like the amount of bullshit she goes through in each of her 24 hours is absolutely absurd. Like to think that she shows up and does the entire showdown with Ellie in the theater after spending all day on the Scar Island, literally watching an entire civilization oh burn to a crisp. She still has time in her night to pencil in a nice little fist fight is psychopath shit to me 
And it's just one of those things where if you introduce in the game that characters will be tired after all of the events that they've lived through, to have Abby just be the fucking Terminator, it brings up more questions than the answers you have ready for me. Where I'm just like, who is this person? How is she so fucking yoked and ready to do all of this shit? And like, without batting an eye, it is really... I almost feel like if you were going to make her a killing machine, go all the way. Fuck Yara yeah. and Lev. Like, if you're going to make us play as the villain of the game, let's play as the villain of the game. Because as we, as we spoke about earlier, it I, I feel like a lot of the conversation around The Last of Us Part Two is dealing with moral grays, but the very factions, the very characters here, everyone's actions are on a very good and bad scale. And yes. it kind of even boils down to what like the very ending is about, which we'll get to in a bit. But it's just the Abbey section just doesn't make sense to me emotionally, nor does it make sense logistically. And it just becomes a thing where I'm like, hey, I guess I'm playing with my PS4 controller on a Saturday afternoon. I'm happy I'm doing that. I did get something out of playing um, like a woman with that body type and like playing the like action hero like a specific kind of action hero that is really like an 80s action hero type mold for sure i did i like that a little bit and i just i wish that i had been able to slide into that role or like there's too often times where i felt like i uh had fucked up an encounter and i had gotten through it but it wasn't meaningful like i did with ellie yeah, I don't. Yeah, it, it they didn't it didn't all line up. They didn't the story and the combat didn't get and the gameplay don't really square up in a way that makes it feel meaningful for how much it is. It's, it's a big bummer because it is, I think objectively a giant swing, like to take the mantle away from the beloved main character of the first game and then to come back with the second game and just take out all of the liveliness that made her a beloved character in the first game. And then make you play as her vic- her presumed victim for yeah. ten hours. It's kind of on paper. I mean, yeah, it sounds cool. <laughs> on paper, it sounds but. fucking dope. And like when the game leaked and these details were kind of put out, and people were like, "This is the worst. This is how you tell a fucking story." I was like, "Yeah, baby, this is how you tell a fucking story. Yeah. I'm in." And then really getting into it and just. I think if, if the Yara and Lev shit actually had any sort of uh, feeling of consequence to it, if because I think when I was midway through playing it, what I really wanted was like, okay, I had this thought that maybe The Last of Us isn't about the cycles of revenge and violence. Fuck that. Maybe this is really a game about how we use children to make us feel better about ourselves. Maybe this is a series all about projecting your inability to change and projecting your lack of emotional range over all of the pitfalls you faced in your life and put that onto a child who you can only hope can be a better version of you while never working on a better version of you. (laughs) That's what I was kind of hoping this game would maybe get towards because that's what I found so interesting about Joel and Ellie is that Joel thinks that he's saving Ellie, but at the end of the last was part one, uh, in many ways, he's killed her himself. And I think there are a few cutscenes in last was part two that directly contend with that. 
uh, up until like the very ending of the game uh, where we have another, the final flashback, which contextualizes the entire 30 hours that came before it, wherein we learned that Ellie was on a track to forgive Joel, which uh, to move on from Abby to right here, I'm curious, Jimmy, how did you feel about not only the narrative beat itself, but its position in the chronology of the story? On the one hand, it wasn't much of a revelation to me because I had had the sense that even in an unspoken way, maybe the character was trying to forgive Joel. Um, And then I, it's almost like I had to remember that she hadn't actually done that, (laughs) which is kind of an experience I had multiple times with the game. Like, the beat that I've already really like internalized where, you know, whether it's like, Oh, Abby probably has people she cares about. And then it's like, it takes hours and hours for it to arrive. Um, and yeah, I think with the chronology, that was really my feeling, uh, with the ending. Um, and it's like moment of mercy and it's moment of forgiveness. I was a little bit sick of it at, by that point. I was like, um, Especially when I, I mean, this should we talk? I mean, like the boss fight. I mean, it's not even a boss fight. You're just hitting square and like hurting <laughs> the character that you like probably a little bit. Um, I was super annoyed. I was just like, right. I knew you were. This is what the game has been the whole time. This is fucking stupid. And then, uh, they, um, you, Abby is spared. And I was just pissed again. I didn't feel good. Like, even though it was the thing I wanted, I was just like, whatever at this point. It, it's like too it little, is, too late kind yeah. of feeling. It is a very weird choice to put that forgiveness flashback uh, at the very end of the game. And I want to say that I, I think the entire Santa Barbara portion was when the game came back to life for me in a pretty big way. Yeah. I found it really interesting i i because it's interesting that a lot of people say that this is where the game really starts dragging like they really didn't want to play through this portion Hmm. but the way that they frame it of going into it where uh, naughty dog i mean where ellie has gone through everything and she is still facing like daily uh sort of like what's the right way to say it? Like PTSD hallucinations, daymares, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. nightmares, uh, moments of, of very everyday things in her life trigger her so intensely to the most traumatizing experience of her young life, which is watching her father figure get slaughtered in front of her. And even, you know, to learn that you have tried everything. You have tried living with your with your son and your wife and the people closest to you cannot help you heal and so the only option left is violence i found it to be really uh intriguing and Hmm. uh incredibly tragic in a way where i was like i think for the the player role in the last of us part two is that you are not really controlling ellie per se but you are controlling her bloodlust and mm-hmm. that is sort of the the mentality that I took on throughout the whole game. It's kind of the mentality that encouraged me to go really aggro whenever I was fighting the wolves. Because 
I felt like I was giving her the catharsis that she was seeking. And mm-hmm. in, a, in a narrative game, I wanted to play the game in a way that made the narrative more interesting. And I found the finale of this game so fascinating uh, because I know a lot of people are really upset that Abby gets spared. I thought I found it so weirdly moving uh, mm. because if we think of it, so if moving, but also it's a complete uh, uh, paradox within itself because Abby essentially robbed Ellie of a chance to forgive Joel. That's that's the big revelation we have at the end of the game. Right. It's not so that much that, that Abby same. killed Joel. It's that Abby took away this chance of immense healing for her. Which is, on one hand, yes, you spare Abby because if you can't forgive Joel, you are now in a position where you can forgive Abby. Okay. I see that. I see how in the heat of the moment, attaching your head to your heart, that is sort of the brainwave that you go with. On the other hand, you are with the person who robbed you of your healing whatsoever. She brought you to this state already. I don't understand why you don't murk her there. <laughs> like, it's it's it, the placement of that flashback is so bizarre to me because it both encourages the sparing, but it also encourages like the yeah fucking kill her of it all. Like it is it is working on two complete levels, and I understand why Ellie would. Ch- I understand the reasoning behind Ellie sparing Abby in this moment. What I don't understand and what I think Naughty Dog completely fails in communicating is what made her, what was the deciding factor in Ellie's head that made her make her choice? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it feels so weird that they put all of their eggs in that basket, but the basket is like, wait, no, 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 no. You don't. You guys know that this same exact memory would be just as potent for her to kill her right here. Um, And, you know, some might say that that's a strength of the game's narrative. That, you know, oh, it's making me think to this very day. But it just, I mean, it just feels so sloppy, my dude. It's, It's something about the tension between it being a video game and it being very cinematic in a movie way like there's where there's ambiguity isn't satisfying when you are in a way responsible for the character for some things i mean the choices you make are very like what how much can you feel like her but the game they try to make you uh at least like inhabit their perspective like literally consistently the the cutscenes transition right into right the gameplay over the shoulder look and um there's this weird tension where like i could see where you're dealing with characters that you're observing i don't know if that's the word to call them but you're dealing with like the cinematic level of the story where that is kind of a satisfying uh, realization or conclusion like maybe it's poignantly small and slight and random like uh, whatever like psychology can be or like for a character character's internal monologue like maybe in a movie it would feel more uh, but something about playing it as video game 
it's it it feels way too slight it's like i have this weird feeling of like i realize that <laughs> me jimmy and i'm ellie and so it's like it doesn't it doesn't match up and yeah i think that's a flaw in the whole house style really and a, yeah a weird element of these games we can get more in depth about the game but i feel like what we mostly come around to is that the things that we really like about this game ultimately lead us to be more frustrated about the things that we're really bugged about. <laughs> and I feel like it is uh, it is a pity that something that is this sort of technically advanced, and like this is one of the most uh, impressive video games I've ever played in my fucking life. And I think what really had that settle in was like after I finished The Last of Us Part Two, I was like, okay, well, that wasn't really a podcast game, so I'm kind of behind on my podcast. Let's play some Assassin's Creed Odyssey real quick. Nice. Just, you know, knock off, knock out some markers and listen to this blank check episode about Sleepless in Seattle. It'll be fun. And I was playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this feels like so many steps back. Like, the gameplay, the design, like, this is... As much as I was not... I, I felt I was not feeling The Last of Us Part Two. The Last of Us Part Two was also giving me a lot of shit that I really wanted in my video games. And I think one of the big things is like, one of my big hangups about Resident Evil 2, the remake that came out last year, it was hugely adored uh, by many. Uh, I would say most people really adore Resident Evil 2. But I was so annoyed by that game and by a lot of like Capcom survival horror because the survival aspect is usually an afterthought. Like. I am so annoyed that in Resident Evil 2, like if I feel like if I have enough precision and enough ammunition and enough strategy to be able to step back and get my line of sight right at a zombie's head and shoot it, if I get a headshot in a zombie, I think I should be rewarded with the zombie being dead. <laughs> and with Resident mm. Evil 2, of course, it takes four headshots to down a zombie yeah. and they'll probably wake up later, which is just like, okay, I get it. That's the quirk of the game. That's what makes it so funny and entertaining, and that's what has created a legacy. But it's also been one of those things, like, I've never beaten a fucking Resident Evil, because that is just infuriating and frustrating to me. Yeah. And what The Last of Us Part Two does is that it puts you in environments of that level of depth, of that level of terror, of that level of sort of very well-planned-out gameplay uh, design. And then is like, okay, did you... Were you playing diligently enough to bring enough tools to this battle? Because if you did, then congratulations. We are rewarding you with go ahead. If you know how to kill these enemies, we're going to make it very difficult. But you can do it. And it's just yeah. this level of give that the game provides that feels natural. Like It feels like, yeah, if I was in a survival scenario, I would be fighting to my dying breath. And that is what The Last of Us 2, at its very best, always feels like. It's when you are in a combat scenario where you are down to like your final trip mine, two rounds in your pistol, one shotgun shell, to the point where it's like, okay, I need to clean this up and get back to a stealth scenario real quick because I'm not going to be able to take out all these guys. How do I clean up my mess? And it's a game all about making messes and cleaning them up. I fucking love it for that. I think the big takeaway I have from The Last of Us Part 2 is that if The Last of Us Part 1 is seen as, like, decent gameplay, 
that gets you to very juicy story. The Last of Us Part Two is very juicy gameplay that gets you to a decent at best story. Yeah. Jimmy, do you have the any gameplays. closing thoughts on yeah, our sweet, like sweet Last of Us Part Two? I think uh, when you're talking about like um, the, the like difference between like shooting the Resident Evil zombie versus like playing the Last of Us Two type zombie game, um, I was thinking like the the weird like promise or they don't get it but they aspire to it of these games by naughty dog i guess is that um like you can have intention at the highest most uh decadent and like technically excellent level of craft you can put you can make it meaningful um on top of this weird relationship to like uh feedback loops with the player and the amount of like enjoyment they're having and this is it a step forward or a step backward in some sense i don't know i don't i mean how could i say it's a step backward what they the give for the for the person playing the game on the level of gameplay is enormous and fascinating and like well done and like the give on the level of story uh it's almost like it follows the same logic of the gameplay which is like we have made this for you perfectly and like we are going to even give you like profound sense of freedom and creativity within it um and then it's like we're gonna give you the same thing uh but not the creativity and the space and like the contemplation they try to it's trying to give you the contemplation of the openness of the gameplay and it just it doesn't work it's all like prescriptive i think that's really weird kind of fascinating um but again sort of like suicidal to the thing it's too contradictory to be like art <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> are only sometimes art i don't know it's a great amusement park ride it's like an amazing amusement park ride that's my that's my feel folks those were our thoughts on the last of us part two weirdly enough even after speaking for all this time i feel like uh i'm looking at like my notes and i'm like fuck i only like touched like the tip of the iceberg of what i really wanted to talk about with jimmy like the i i will give this game a lot of credit I do think that for as much as many holes as there are in this ship, this is a mighty ship, and it's something that it the ambition of this motherfucking thing is out of this world to the much publicized detriment of the uh, sanity and sort of safety of the workers at Naughty Dog who crunched uh, for over twelve hours at a time for weeks, months on end to make this game. Uh, yeah. it is it is weird indulging in the art form, the medium of video games when now we're in a, a space to really learn more about how labor functions in this industry. Uh, and it's something to that has definitely colored my experience 
playing a lot of games, especially playing a game as technically proficient and almost needlessly detailed as The Last of Us Part Two can be. Um, but I'm glad that we were able to hash out so much uh, of the efforts of this weird behemoth. Uh, my name is Kevin Cookman. You can find me on Twitter, on the site. We're at Merry-Go-Round. Jimmy, are there places we can find you? Do you want us to find you? Do you I can be found on some places. I can be found on Twitter at J-E-H-M-B-O. We thank you guys so much for listening. We'll take it away to Carter now.